some point in life, we all have to ask ourselves, what are we for? How will we make a difference in our time and place? Because we have been called, called to rise up and attempt great things for the kingdom, a kingdom that is bigger than a city. It's bigger than a state or even a country. It's a kingdom that covers the globe. And unlike realms of the past, whose rulers have faded with history, our king is alive. And he has called us to spread the good news of hope and love, to build up a community that impacts the world for good, to make our mark for his kingdom. Uh, well, good morning, good morning, church, and welcome back to our series. We're in this great series called For the Kingdom, and God is challenging us and teaching us and molding us and shaping us to be men and women who are for the kingdom. Now, we're a part of a 50 days of prayers. We're praying for God to move in a mighty way, and throughout this series, we've been asking this question, what are you for, right? What are you for? And we've said that all of everybody here, everybody around is for something, right? But they're for different things. We're for a certain college football team, or they're for a pro football team, or they're for a concert, a band, or for a vacation spot, or for Disney. But as the people of God today, we want to be people who are for the kingdom. We want to be people who are for the things of God. You know, it's interesting if you kind of listen to the news or political ads, or, you know, if you're on social media, you can hear what people are against. I mean, people are more than happy to tell you what they're against. They're against this, they're against that. Everybody's against something, right? And, and we see that all the time. And a lot of people think that Christians are against things. You know, they're, they're against, you know, hey, don't do this or don't do that. Or churches, and maybe you grew up in a church that was like this. It was like they were against everything, you know? And you're like, oh, I don't want to go to church because they're just against everything, you know? And I'm a kid, and i got to be quiet, and i got to sit down. That's not here at Rolling Hills, obviously. But, but, you know, a lot of times people, that's what they think about. It's like, ah, oh, they're against, they're against, they're against. But in this series, we're saying, no, we are for these things. We're for life change in Christ. We are, we are for it, you know? We're for growing marriages. We're for growing parents. We're for raising up the next generation in Christ. We are for our community. We are for Franklin and Nolensville and Nashville and Brentwood and Thompson Station and Spring Hill. We are for what God's doing here. We are for the least, the last, the lost, the Moldova and South Africa and the Amazon and Haiti and throughout the world. We are for these things. Now, back in the Old Testament, we have been studying about this time that was by the most exciting time in the Bible in the Old Testament times. I mean, it was a time when God was moving and doing great things and the people were all like, hey, this is what we're for. And there was an energy and excitement and a momentum David the king, David the king, one night he was walking around in Jerusalem and he was on his palace and he goes, why am I living in a palace? And all my people have these beautiful houses and chariots and all this and God's dwelling in a tent. Because when they were in the desert as a people, God said, hey, make this tabernacle and I will reside there and put it in the center of your camp. And then they come into Jerusalem and they kind of forget about God. They're like, God, we're building our own houses, right? You know, and David's like, whoa, wait a minute. Let's build a temple in the center of our community, and let's say to everybody, this is what we're for. And God goes, love it, David. That's awesome. That's great. I love your heart. But listen, you're not the one to build it. You've shed too much blood, right? You've won too many wars, but your son Solomon will build it. He's a man of peace, and my house will be a house of peace. I love that. When you come in here, man, experience the peace of God. And so David's like, okay, 
Well, if I don't get to build it, I still want to be involved, right? I still want to be involved. And so I'm going to give the plans. I'm going to get the land. I'm going to get the people fired up. And hey, I'm going to hand it over to Solomon. I'm going to give my, you know, gifts over and above out of my personal, you know, treasury. I'm going to give that for building this. And all the leaders said, hey, we're in. And now Solomon is the one to build it. David dies off, 1 Chronicles 28 and 29, and now in 2 Chronicles, here's Solomon. And the Bible says he's young and inexperienced. And now he's the king over all of these people, right? And the first thing Solomon does, and I love this, is he goes to worship. He's like, guys, let's just go. I'm going to commit my life to God. I'm going to start with God first. And whenever you start a new job, whenever you start, you know, you get married, you have a family, or whenever you start a new chapter in your life or in your journey, always start with God. God, what do you want to do through me? God, why did you bring me to this point? God, how can you use me? And he starts with God. And God says, hey, good job, Solomon. Good start. Now ask anything you want of me. Just one thing. What do you want me to give you? And Solomon goes, I want wisdom. I want wisdom to lead these people of yours. I want wisdom, God. And God goes, because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you long life and money, wealth, success, because you want to do this right and you want to do this well. And Solomon goes, yes, you know. And he turns around, he comes back to Jerusalem. He goes, all right, guys, let's get to work. Let's do what God has called us to do. Let's build this temple in the middle of Jerusalem so that our kids and our grandkids go, hey, that's what they were for. They were for the things of God. Solomon's got the plans. Solomon's got the blessing. And now Solomon calls all the people. And I want you to see this today as they were for the kingdom back then and we're for the kingdom Today. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, open with me to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 2. 2 Chronicles Old Testament, right? It's in that first and second section in the Old Testament. 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, that whole area kind of right there. So 2 Chronicles chapter 2. Now we've been walking verse by verse through the end of 1st Chronicles and into 2nd Chronicles. And man, it is so good. So good. Now if you have your journey guide with you today, you want to take notes, page 34. Uh, there. You can write your sermon notes down. I love these journey guides as we have our community group notes and we have our sermon notes and we're kind of, you know, going through scripture together and walking through this. So pick up here, chapter 2 of Second Chronicles, verse 1. It says, Solomon gave orders to build a temple for the name of the Lord and a royal palace for himself. Now I want you to see this. Solomon comes back, he's fired up, and he says, okay guys, let's do it. Now notice, notice this, God chose Solomon. God chose Solomon. I mean, why? I mean, David had other sons, right? Solomon wasn't even the oldest son. But God had a plan and a purpose for Solomon's life. And God says, Solomon, I want you to be the one to build it. God had a calling on him. And in God's sovereignty, look at this, in God's sovereignty, he chose Solomon for this special assignment. Now think about it. Even before David had this vision, even before David gave the money, even before God put the tabernacle in the middle of the camp in the wilderness and said, hey, this is going to be a place you offer sacrifices, this is going to be a place that you worship, even before that, if you go back to the very beginning of time, when God created man, and God created man for relationship with him, but God knew, God knew how we would be, and when we had a choice that we would rebel against God, and we would sin, and God said, hey, I'm going to set into motion already a plan to redeem mankind. I'm going to call a guy named Abram to 
to lead his people to go to the promised land. And then I'm going to come and I'm going to put this tabernacle there where they can offer sacrifices. Then I'm going to have a temple built that'll be the sacrificial system because ultimately I'm going to bring the Messiah, my son, Jesus, who will be the ultimate sacrifice. He will die for the sins of the people. And Solomon, you're going to have a part to play in my story. That's pretty incredible. And here's the thing, right? In God's sovereignty, he's chosen you. Have you ever thought, you know, why, why, why was I born at this time in history? Why, why, why was I born in the United States of America? (laughs) Why am I here in my family? Why am I at this job? Why am I here? You're here for a reason and for a purpose. And God has chosen you. And you have a special calling on your life. And you can either step into that calling or you can step back. And a lot of people step back and a lot of people get complacent. A lot of people get comfortable. A lot of people drift along through life. A lot of people run after the things of this world and they miss out on what God is doing. And Solomon's like, I don't want to miss it. God, here I am. I'm young. I'm inexperienced. I know, but God, you've called me and God, I'm going to step into it. And you and I, we have this calling on us. And maybe you go, man, I'm young and inexperienced. I don't understand it, but God's got a calling. So God, here I am. Let me step into that. Notice this in verse 3. It says, Solomon sent this message to Hiram, king of Tyre. So he sends this message up to the guy who's the king in, in Lebanon area, this modern-day Lebanon today, Hiram, king of Tyre, a pagan king. And he says, send me some cedar logs as you did for my father David when you sent him cedar to build a, a palace to live in. Now I'm about to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God and to dedicate it to him for burning fragrant incense before him, for setting out the consecrated bread regularly, and for making burnt offerings every morning and evening and on the Sabbath at the new moons and at the appointed festivals of the Lord our God. This is a lasting ordinance of Israel. Now notice Solomon writes this to this pagan king, and he says, hey, listen, this is what I'm for. I want you to know what I'm for. I'm for building this temple of the Lord my God. Solomon could have just written him a note and said, hey, I need some cedar. You know, can you give me some cedar logs? You know, cedars of Lebanon, right? I mean, you're famous for it. I need those logs down here. But, but he goes into this whole thing. He's like, here's what I'm for. I'm for building a temple. You know, if people were to look at your life, if people were to look at the things that you post and the things that we say and the things that we do, would they know more about what you're for or would they know more about what you're against? Solomon's like, I want people to know what I'm for. I'm going to go just lay it out there. I'm for the Lord my God. This temple I'm going to build will be great. You know, I'm not doing it halfway, right? I'm all in because our God is greater than all other gods. But who is able to build a temple for him since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him? Who then am I to build a temple for him except as a place to burn sacrifices before him? He's like, man, why did God choose me? There's probably a lot of times we think that too. You know, like, can I lead this group? You know, can I lead this family? Can I lead this Bible study? God, but, but God, I'm going to do it for you, for your glory. God 
Send me, therefore, a man skilled to work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, and in purple, crimson, and blue yarn, and experienced in the art of engraving, to work in Judah and Jerusalem with my skilled workers whom my father David provided. He's like, hey, send me a general contractor. You know, somebody who can do a lot of things, who can help us along. Send me also cedar, juniper, and algum logs from Lebanon. For I know that your servants are skilled in cutting timber there. And my servants will work with yours to provide me with plenty of lumber. Because the temple I build must be large and magnificent. (laughs) You know, this is for God. I'm going big, right? I'm doing it for him. And I will give your servants, the woodsmen who cut the timber, 20,000 cores of ground wheat, 20,000 cores of barley, 20,000 baths of wine, and 20,000 baths of olive oil. Now, a lot of ancient historians love to come and study this passage because this was written about 950 BC and to see how kings interacted. And so you see the barter system here, right? You send me the logs, I'm going to send you the wine, I'll send you the wheat. But even more than that, Solomon was giving a testimony. He was saying to him, hey, I'm doing this for God. And notice how this king responds, verse 11. Hiram, king of Tyre, replied by letter to Solomon, Because the Lord loves his people, he has made you their king. He's like, wow, you had a great heart, man. Verse 12, and Hiram added, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who made heaven and earth. Exclamation point. I mean, here's this guy who's far from God who all of a sudden hears the testimony of what Solomon's doing and says, you're for that? Praise be to God of Israel. And I wish there were some people around me who were that passionate about their God because I'm polytheistic up here, you know, in Lebanon right now at this time. But man, there's something about your God. There's something compelling about your faith. There's something passionate about what you're doing. Praise be to God. He has given King David a wise son endowed with intelligence and discernment who will build a temple for the Lord and a palace for himself. It's okay to build a house for yourself. It's okay to have nice things. God wants you to enjoy those things. But he also wants you to invest in the things that are going to last and things that are going to matter. I'm sending you Haram Abai. He's a man of great skill, whose mother was from Dan and whose father was from Tyre. So Dan was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So this guy's got like Israeli blood in him, right? The children of God blood in him. His mom was from Dan, his father from Tyre. He is trained to work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, stone and wood, and with purple and blue and crimson yarn and fine linen. He's experienced in all kinds of engraving and can execute any design given to him. He will work with your skilled workers and with those of my Lord David, your father. Now let my Lord send his servants the wheat and the barley and the olive oil and the wine he promised. And we will cut all the logs from Lebanon that you need and will float them as rafts by sea down to Joppa. You can then take them up to Jerusalem. What I want you to notice is this. Your obedience right? Your obedience to God impacts others. Your obedience to do the things of God at the time in history you're in impacts others. Solomon's obedience to God impacted countless others. It impacted the people who were going to work on the temple. It impacted, you know, his children, his grandchildren who said, hey, this is what my dad was for, my granddad was for. But it even impacted this pagan king, And I tell you, when we have that opportunity to step in and to be for the things of God, 
And whether we post things on social media, whether we have conversations with people at work, when we say to somebody, hey, I'm going to pray for you, when we pray together with our family at night before a meal, or we just have this opportunity to be for the kingdom, it, it has this ripple effect. Because there's people that are watching all the time, whether we know it or not, and sometimes we feel insignificant, and sometimes we feel like, God, can you really use me? And yet, when we understand that he is God, and we are simply a vessel to be used for his glory, people are changed. And people want to know that. Listen, your obedience to God and fulfilling your calling will impact countless others as well. God has you where you are for a reason and a purpose. And you can get comfortable, you can get complacent, you can drift, you can fall in love with the things of this world. But I'm telling you, when you engage and you align with the heartbeat of God, lives are impacted. And God has called you for a time such as this. And then notice, Solomon gets to work and he took a census, verse 17, of all the foreigners residing in Israel. After the census, his father David had taken, and there were found to be 153,600 he assigned 70,000 of them to be carriers and 80,000 to be stonecutters in the hills with 3,600 foremen over them to keep the people working. Now, I just think this is incredible because there's still these foreigners in the land, right? And these foreigners that are in the land were people who could have left. When the children of Israel came back in the land, remember Abraham came down and said, hey, God says, this is the promised land. This is all the land I'm giving you. Then they went down to Egypt for a while. They come back in, the conquest, you know, Joshua leading. And a lot of the people moved out. They just said, hey, we're out. You know, we're going to go to a different place. But, but these people stayed. These people said, hey, we want to be a part of this. We want to be a part of this. And so Solomon goes, okay, jump in. Jump in. You know, here you go. And some of you, you're going to have this calling. Everyone was involved. He says, some of you, you're going to do timbers. Now, I want to put a map up here, because I just want to kind of give you some perspective on what's happening here. So let me put a map up here. This is kind of what it looked like uh, back in this time. And this is up to the north. So you see Joppa. Now, if you go north of that, you're going to get into Lebanon, which is Tyre. And they would float these cedars of Lebanon, these huge trees, down to this seaport, Joppa, that Solomon built. And then they had to get it 30 miles from there, southeast down to Jerusalem, when they were building the temple. Okay, so he goes, I need 70,000 people to go up there and figure out how we're going to get these logs, massive logs, down to Jerusalem. Now, you don't have any caterpillar trucks. You don't have any front-end loaders, right? This is you guys, 950 BC, to get that down to Jerusalem. Then he says, I got 80,000 of you who are going to be stonecutters. And I want you to go cut these stones, and we're going to bring it, and we're going to start putting the base of the temple together. Do you know the largest cut stone in the world was cut from this time? There is a stone at the western wall, and at some point, I would love for you guys to go to Israel. At some point, you got to go. We do a biblical study tour every two years at church, and it's amazing. But we will stand there at the western wall, and you can see a stone from this time, 950 B.C., so almost 3,000 years Ago. And this stone is 500 metric tons. Okay, the largest crane in the world can lift about 250 metric tons. And you're thinking, how did these people do this, right? I mean, how do you, like 80,000 people are going to get these stones and they're building the base. But everyone was involved, right? I mean, you read through this passage, there's skilled workers, there's timber people, there's stone cutters, there's all these people. Now, 
I, I can't repair anything. Like, I'm terrible at it. I, you know, I try, you know, it's like, I'm just not great at that. I probably would have been on the timber thing. You know, that would be cool to me. Like, okay, let's go figure out how to get the timbers down. But everybody had a job and everybody had a responsibility. And here's the part, right? We all have a part to play in God's story. We all have a part to play in God's story. And maybe in your life, you kind of go, no, I really don't. I don't know enough about the Bible, right? I haven't been a Christian long enough. I, you know, there were some things I did in my past. And, and we always think about the things that are against us. But if I can encourage you anything today, listen, think about the things that are for you. There is a God who is for you. And there is a God who is calling you. And there is a God who is inviting you to have a part in his story. How incredible is that? Hey, as God's people today, he's called us to build his church. He's called us, you know, back then, I mean, they're moving timbers and cutting stones and doing that and building this temple. But he's called us to be people who build his church. The church is the vehicle by which God works in this world. Now, God doesn't need us, right? Let's just be honest. God is sovereign. God didn't need the people back then. He could have made a temple in heaven. And, I mean, he made all the stars and the planets, right? He could have just dropped the temple in the middle of Jerusalem, right? Here you go. But God knows, like when we're involved, man, we grow spiritually. When we get involved in what he's doing, and God's going, that's what I want to do. Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. It tells us this. It says, for we are God's handiwork. That word handiwork in the Greek, it literally is translated masterpiece. You know what? You are God's masterpiece. Have you ever thought about this? There's 7.2 billion people in the world, and there's nobody exactly like you. There is nobody exactly like you. Nobody who has the same, you know, heartbeat and passions and desires. And, and somebody may say, well, I met somebody, they look just like you. And they're like, yeah, but they're not you, you know. You are unique. You are called. For we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I mean, why doesn't God take us home when we become Christ followers? Right? When you give your life to Christ, when you get down on your knees and you say, you know, Lord Jesus, I want you to come, forgive me of my sins. God, I should be the one paying the price, but you paid the price for me. Forgive me, redeem me, restore me. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Why doesn't he just take us home to heaven? Why does he leave us here with the pain and the suffering and the hardships on this earth? You know why? Two things. One, he's conforming us to the image of Christ. Romans 8, 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So he's working on your character. He's molding you and shaping you. Secondly, God has a plan and a purpose for you. God has a calling on you. You are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Even when God was thinking about Solomon, God was thinking about you. And God was saying, this is going to be your time. This is going to be your opportunity. You're going to be involved. Man, I just think, wow, God. And again, we can step back from that, and we can go, no, 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 no. I'm going to drift along with the world. I'm going to kind of thing, go after the things of this world. Or we can just step in and go, okay, God, maybe I'm young and inexperienced, but Father, I want you to use me. And I want to be for the things that you're for. I want to be for the things of God. You know, when you saw that city Joppa, and you think about those cedar logs being floated down the Mediterranean, coming into that seaport, 
About a thousand years later, there's a guy in the New Testament who's, who's living there at Joppa. Maybe you remember this. Maybe you studied this in the Bible like in a Sunday school or something. But Peter is actually staying at Joppa. And Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He was with Jesus for three years, right? He saw Jesus you know, be crucified on the cross. He saw Jesus resurrected. He becomes a leader in the early church. But Peter was against something. Peter was against the Gentiles coming to know Jesus. Peter thought it was all about the Jews. And Peter was like, man, he was dead set. I'm like, no. Gentiles, that's us. Like, right, thanks a lot. You know, <laughs> he's like, no, 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 no. It's just for the Jews. Jesus died just for the Jews. And in Acts chapter 10, Peter is at Joppa. Now, Jesus has ascended into heaven at this time. The church is growing. But, but Peter is just steadfast. No, it's only Jews. It's only Jews. And then they're at Joppa, the seaport town that Solomon had built to have these timbers come in for the temple. And he's there, and he goes up on the roof to pray. And while he's praying, he sees a vision of this sheet being lowered down. And on this sheet, there's these four-footed animals, and he, and he hears this voice that says, get up, kill, and eat. And he's like, no, 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 that's unclean. And it goes back up, and it comes back down. Get up, kill, and eat. No, it's unclean. Comes back down. No, it's unclean. The Old Testament says it's unclean. I'm against it. No, no, no. And then he hears this voice that says, do not call anything unclean that I've made. And right then, there's a knock on the door. And they go to open the door, and there are these servant guys from a guy named Cornelius. And Cornelius, who's in Caesarea, which is another seaport town down the road that King Herod built, is massive, is beautiful. And Cornelius is the head of the Italian regiment. He's a Gentile, but he is a Roman soldier. But the Bible says he was a God-fearing man. He knew there was a God. He knew there was something out there. He knew there was something bigger than him. And he was generous. And he had a vision that there was a guy named Peter who was staying at Joppa who could tell him more about this guy, Jesus. So he sent his servants, and at that exact same moment, they're knocking on the door. Peter's like, wow, okay, this isn't a coincidence, right? This is a God incident. And so the guys go, hey, would you come with us to Cornelius, this Italian regiment leader, this Roman soldier? And I'm sure Peter's going, Okay, Romans killed Jesus. Hmm, let me think about this. You know, are you sure? But yet he's had this vision from God, right? And so he, sure enough, he goes. And he gets there, and he gets to the house, and Cornelius has all of his family, he has all of his friends, and they're all packed in the house. And Peter gets there, and it tells us in Acts 10 that Peter goes, I'm not even going to step in your house. Because I've never stepped in the house of a Gentile. I've always thought God is just for the Jews and for my people. But then I had this vision. (laughs) And God says, don't call anything unclean that I've made. And Peter steps in for the first time into a Gentile's home. And he shares the gospel. And the Holy Spirit falls fresh. And all these people accept Christ. And they're baptized. And Peter's like, whoa, God is for all people. God's got a bigger plan and purpose. And what if Peter would have said when he was back there at Joppa, no way, I'm not going, I don't want to be used by God. He would have missed out, but he stepped into it. And I'm going to tell you, when God prompts your heart, and maybe God prompts your heart to send a text or send an email, or God prompts your heart and says, hey, would you pray for your spouse, or you pray for your kids, or God does it, step into it, be for it. Because when you do, lives are impacted for the glory of God I want you to watch this video right now. This is a a lady at our Nolensville campus, and I want you to hear a little bit of her story. Watch this. For me, the journey 
was a painful one to come to Jesus. Got married at 18, had my son at 22, and by the time I was in my late 30s, I was really at a very hard place. I was, had gone through two divorces. I really felt in search of something to fill a hole in me. I was really spiritually bankrupt, emotionally bankrupt. I was financially bankrupt, all of those things. My life was a total disaster. <laughs> I really had no path. I felt like there was no guidance. I felt like I had to do it all, that everything was on my shoulders, that there wasn't any, any meaning to life, really, that I was just going through the motions. The day that I turned my life over is just so impressed in my mind because I literally got up, was getting ready to go to work, and the power company turned the power off because we hadn't paid the bill. And I just fell to my knees. I, and I just kept saying the Lord's Prayer because that was the one prayer I knew. And as I prayed it, I kept saying, Thy will be done. Thy will be done, Lord. Whatever it takes, I turn my life over to you. Thy will be done. A calm just came over me. From then on, that calmness stayed with me through everything. I, there was nothing that I felt like I couldn't overcome. So it was a powerful moment and it stayed with me forever. I still feel it today. I really felt like with just the Bible that I could go it alone. I tried various church organizations, various churches. Um, in fact, became one of those people that would tell you, I'm a believer, but I'm not, I, I don't know about um, organized religion. About five years ago, my son and his family moved to the Nashville area, and they started going to Rolling Hills. And me being able to see that was really the turning point for me. And I just started learning more about the, about praying about what the Bible really means, and I felt this great sense of community. So I started going to the Nolansville campus, and I, I immediately felt welcome, and I immediately signed up to be on the First Impressions team because I wanted to start participating in community. I felt like that was some place I could give. I, I still feel very shaky in my knowledge level, but I knew that I could be welcoming. And I knew also that that really was something that drew me in when I first came, that that first impression when you come in and you're new, that no matter what you look like or who you are, if there's somebody there to greet you, that's a, that's a big deal. You need to be in a group of believers because they will support you, they will comfort you, they will pray for you, and all of those things are really necessary. And today, in this broken world we live in, to help you get through each and every day and to make your life much more enjoyable with the little time we have on this earth. Having that community really is what our life is all about. You know what's amazing is uh, her son, Keith, and his wife started coming to Rolling Hills when they moved to town. They came here to our Franklin campus, and, and Keith started praying for his mom, and she lived in Nolensville, and Keith said, hey, mom, we've got a campus in Nolensville. And so about three weeks ago or so, Keith and his wife, Lisa, and their kids all went over, and Keith had the chance to baptize his mom there at the Nolensville campus. I mean, how incredible is that? I mean, you know, it's like... I mean, baptize your mom, you know, and to see her joy, the life change, and to see what God's doing in her life, and that's what Christ does. And God doesn't need us, but he, but he allows us to be a part of that. He allows us to be a part of his story. He allows us to see people's lives changed. And that's when it's fun. That's when the Christian life comes alive. 
And guys, listen, it takes all of us, right? It takes all of us praying. I believe that, you know, the person doesn't come to know Christ without somebody first praying for them, but it takes all of us praying. And during these 50 days of prayer, we keep saying, who are you praying for? You know, pray together with your spouse or pray with your children or pray for your future spouse or pray for your extended family, but, but be praying. Be praying. There's power in prayer. It takes all of us praying. It takes all of us serving. It takes all of us serving. You know, I love how Diane, in that video, she just said, you know, I want to be on the First Impressions team. I wanted to be out, I wanted to greet people because I knew coming to church was so, I, I don't have a lot of knowledge, but man, I can do that. You know, what can you do? Everybody, it takes all of us serving. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it tells us this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Why? Why did he give us as pastors and evangelists? Why? Verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He's like, you know what, here's all of you, but why? So that you can serve, so you can give back. Jesus is for this. Jesus said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And all of us have a part to play in God's story. It takes all of us praying. It takes all of us serving. It takes all of us giving. It does. It just says, hey, you know, whatever it is, you give. I love in Luke 21. In Luke 21, Jesus is at this temple. Okay? I mean, the temple of Solomon built. It stands for about 350 years. It's destroyed for about 70 years. It's rebuilt. And it's there in Jesus' time. And like I said, I mean, you can still go and see some of the rocks, the stones that are even there today. But Jesus is at the temple, and he's watching people give their offering, which is kind of crazy to think about, but right, he was. He was watching. He's like, good job. Way to go. Way to go. Way to go. Then he sees this widow woman, and she comes, and she puts in this two small copper coins, a widow's mite. And Jesus is like, hey, 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 everybody see that? Look at that. Look at her faith. She could have said, look what's against me. I'm a widow, you know, I'm in trouble, I don't have a whole lot to live on, I'm scared, I'm worried, but look what she's doing, she's saying, I am for the things of God, God is with me, he is greater, and I'm going to hold on to him, and Jesus, man, it got his attention, it got his attention, and we're all praying, we're all serving, we're all giving, it's not equal gifts, you know, I mean, financial gifts or, or spiritual gifts, we don't all have the same ones, but it's equal sacrifice, how can we give back? How can we be involved? And just think about, think about all the people who will be impacted through your prayers and service and giving. People you know, I mean, obviously, who are directly impacted, your kids or your grandkids or your great-grandkids or your nieces or your nephews. But think about people you may not even know. Generations later, you will say, hey, they served. They taught me in Sunday school. They prayed for me. They encouraged me. They posted something. They followed up with me. They cared about me because we all have a part to play in his story. You know, when Hiram, the king of Tyre, sends that letter back to Solomon, and I love what he says. I love where he says, because the Lord loves his people, he has made you their king. Because the Lord loves his people, he has made you. Because the Lord loves his kids, he has made you their mom or their dad.
Because the Lord loves your grandkids. He has made you their grandparent. Because the Lord loves your nieces and nephew who's made you their aunt or their uncle. Because the Lord loves the people at your workplace. He has made you their boss or their coworker. Because the Lord loves the people at Rolling Hills. He has made you a partner and a co-laborer of Christ. Because the Lord loves, he has made you. You know what God's for? God's for you. God is for you. He believes in you. He created you. He loves you. He is for you. And whatever things that you think in your life are against you, just remember this, that our God is greater and he is for you. And he wants you to know that and he wants you to live that. He wants you to have that confidence and he wants you to go forward in him. He wants you to be a part of his story because God's hand is on you and he loves you. Jesus wanted to make sure everybody knew this, right? Jesus wanted to make sure it was clear. And so he said, establish an ordinance so that you remember that God is for you. You remember the part that you have to play in God's story. And he brought his disciples together on the night that he was betrayed. And he said, guys, let me show you how much I'm for you. And he took bread. And after he'd given things, he broke it. And he said, guys, this is my body, broken for you. Personal. And after supper, he took the cup. And he says, guys, this is the new covenant. My blood poured out for you. For you. Take it. Eat this and drink this in remembrance of me. And so people have been doing it. Christ followers for 2,000 years coming to the table to say, God, you're for me. And if you're for me, who can be against me? And God, you've got a calling on my life at this point in history, in this church, in this community, in this family. God, I'm yours. And so this morning, there's tables set up all around the room. There's two tables up front. There's a gluten-free table over here. There's two tables in the center. There's two tables in the back. And I'm gonna invite you to come. I want to invite you to come to the table, and as you come this morning, I just want you to think about all that God's done in your life to prepare you for this time. Think about, you know, maybe the church you grew up in, or the people who taught you, or your parents, or people who prayed for you and invested in you. Think about when you came to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Think about all the things that have gone into preparing you, and then think and pray and say, God, what do you want to do through me? How do you want to use me praying, serving, giving to further your kingdom? Because God, I'm yours. And Father, you've done miracles in the past. You've brought me out of darkness, out of tough times, difficult situations. And God, do it again as I go forward. I'm yours. So let me pray for us. And then you're invited to come to his table. Father God, here we are, your disciples today. 2,000 years later, God. Coming to worship, to commit to praise your name. Father, you have called us for a time such as this. You've called us to be your servants. And I pray, Father, you would use us. We can't do it alone, Father. But God, we don't have to because you're with us and you're for us. So God, we come to your table this morning to receive your grace. Father, we are young and inexperienced, God, in so many ways. And yet, Father, we declare today that you are enough for us. 
And we want to live our lives for your name and for your glory. And so, God, we come humbly in the name of Jesus as a part of your church, everyone involved, regardless of gender or race or socioeconomic status. Father, we all have equal footing at the table. As we take a piece of the bread, your body broken for us, and dip into the cup, your blood poured out for us, and receive again the gift of life to know that you're with us and you're for us. So it's in the name of Jesus that we come to your table right now. Amen. Amen. You're invited to come to his table.